G'day everyone, Matt Burke here, Talking Sport, and the Tokyo Olympics are upon us, so let's talk Olympics. That's a good excuse to chat to one of our Aussie heroes. Now, the Sydney Olympics remains such a massive part of any Aussie sports fan's memory, and the legend we are talking to took centre stage alongside the likes of Cathy Freeman in that magic fortnight in 2000. Now a motivational speaker and board member of Volleyball Australia, who better to talk to about what it's going to take for our Aussie contenders in Tokyo to be standing on the podium. She is one half of our gold medal winning beach volleyballers. She is Kerry Pothast. Kerry, thanks for joining us. I've got to go back for you. It's, it's been 21 years since that gold medal performance. Quite incredible. Um, let me ask you, what's Kerry Pothouse up to these days? What what occupies your time? Yeah, it has been a long time, Matt. Thank you for having me on the show. I, I love talking about it. <laughs> I keep talking about that moment and, and the whole journey um, because I am a motivational speaker. I've been talking about it for 20 years. It wasn't something that I planned to be doing 20 years post the event, but after the event, I had a lot of opportunities to share the story and share all the lessons. And I started doing it and I really enjoy it. I really enjoy seeing people's eyes light up and and I, I, I enjoy kind of sharing those lessons and, and seeing that other people understand how to create that success and then they can apply it to their own lives. So I started speaking and, um, you know, every year I, I'd say to myself, do I need to get a real job? Do I need to get a real job? Not realising it, it actually is a real job, but thinking that the work would dry up, but people still love hearing the story. And it's not just the story about what we did on that day. It's a story that kind of led up to that day. Everything that I went through, all the, the highs, the lows, the everything, the strategies that we used, the, the planning that we did to create that success. So that's what fills my days mainly. Obviously, in the last 18 months with the pandemic, um, that's completely shut down. So I, it was actually the last 18 months has been quite nice not doing anything in a way because I've been, I guess, hustling in that sense because I'm always looking for work. It doesn't just come to me. Well, it does come to me, but it's always kind of, I have, I've had to recreate myself um, as a speaker and an MC and a host and a facilitator. And I did a podcast as well. So all sorts of different things over the years. So it's been really nice to have some time off in a sense and, enjoy where I live on the northern beaches, enjoy the beach, do a lot of walking. I started working out again, which was quite <laughs> um, quite incredible because I actually hated the conditioning part of playing sport. I loved playing sport, but I didn't like conditioning. But now I'm all I'm back into the love for conditioning or I've, I've created a love for it and I've seen my body transform in my 50s and I'm like, wow, this is pretty cool. So I'm just going to stick with it. So yeah, that and um, I wrote a book a few years ago. Had a had a son, just lots of different things that keep me busy, but no so, nine to five. So uh, yeah, that's 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 probably the world's best answer I've heard so far. Um, go back to go back to the, the the playing, and and you're right. And from what I did with my rugby, people see the weekend, people see the game, and, and people see your match as well. Uh, take us through what you had to do to get to that point of, of one, being an Olympian and, and two, winning a gold medal? I'm sure it's difficult. Well, it was about, I don't know how many, 20 years of twenty years of playing sport to get to the Sydney 2000 gold medal match. So, I mean, it started with 10 years of indoor volleyball. I played for Australia pretty quickly in my late teens. Um, Captain Australia after a 
about eight years, I was then captain of the, the team, but we wouldn't train full time. Um, the indoor team still doesn't train full time, the women's team, the men's team does when they're together. Most of them train all over or play in, in, in clubs all over the world now. But back then it was work and train and do all your practice around, you know, a full-time job. And then um, at the 10-year mark roundabout, I wrecked my knee pretty badly playing indoor, just one landing. I'd already played professionally overseas, so I had that experience, which was amazing. I got paid for the first time playing sport professionally. How good's that? Came back, yeah, wrecked my knee and then wasn't able to rehab. So a year after that, I wasn't able to rehab. So I thought I'll try beach volleyball because it was just made an Olympic sport. And this was mm. back in 1994. So they made beach an Olympic sport for the first time in 96 for the Atlanta Olympics. And I thought, hmm, maybe I could get to the Olympics. And here I am like on the couch with a, a you know, pretty badly damaged knee. Uh, but I did make it. I, I went through a journey getting there. It was a, a lot of blood, sweat and tears to rehab. And, and then I picked up Natalie Cook being, you know, one of the best players, junior players in the country at the time. And we made it to Atlanta and we won our first bronze medal. And then there was another four years of complete, um, you know, disarray with our team. We split up for a while. We came back together again. We got a mindset coach. We had a, a personal trainer who worked with us full time. We had our volleyball coach. So we were a team of five going into the Sydney games and really interesting you know, Ash Barty winning Wimbledon recently, you know, she talks a lot about our team. It's so much about the team around you. It's not just the, the players or the people on the court or the field. And so we had a great team going into Sydney and um, yeah, we, we, you know, planned for that absolute moment. But the funny thing is we planned for after that moment just as much. So we were visionaries and we were taught to think past the moment, the big moment. So the big moment was just part of the journey mm. and you know we planned out what we were going to do after the olympics we planned you know what we were going to say to the media natalie planned what she was going to say to the crowd when she had the microphone and we didn't even know if we were going to get a microphone but she planned that out and she actually then said all the things all the thank yous that she wanted to say to the crowd on bondi beach with ten thousand people in front of it whereas i was just going oh my god i can't, I can't believe it i can't believe it <laughs> Well, tell, tell me about, so take you back to 1994 when uh, beach volleyball became an Olympic sport. You are mentioning then. I'm going to take you back a year earlier, 1993. Uh, I remember uh, having a drink with a mate at his pub just up here at Piermont. And we looked at each other and said, we should go for the announcement you know, when, when Juan Antonio Samaraj was, was making that uh, announcement. And we, we made our way down at 3 a.m., I think it was, for the announcement down at the rocks there. We scammed our way in the front. And that was the... For me, as a as a young bloke, that was probably one of the biggest moments that I've been around. The crowd were walking down Joy Street afterwards. How did you feel about that, knowing that you're going to play an Olympics in Sydney or have an Olympics in Sydney? Well, at that time, I didn't even know that I, you know, I, we didn't even know 100% that I would be in the Olympics in Atlanta at that point. So we, I was still rehabilitating from my injury. So I didn't really have a vision for my Olympic career at that point. I was just trying to get on the court. Um, but knowing that the Olympics would be in Sydney, it was definitely an exciting moment for me. I definitely remember that. And then once we qualified and we, we knew we were good enough to go to the Atlanta Olympics, mm. that's when we started to go tick, tick, tick. Okay, Sydney is our goal. But we had to completely forget about that really at the time because we were still trying to work out you know, what we were going to do in Atlanta and, you know, could we get a medal? And, and that was, in fact, our goal going into Atlanta. We'd, we'd got a few medals, a few bronzes, I think, and maybe a, a silver. We'd never won an event. 
uh, world tour event, even leading into Sydney, but we definitely hadn't won one leading into Atlanta. And so our goal was to actually win a medal. And we had such a big chance to get into the gold medal match in Atlanta. But we, our minds were just limited at we're going to win a medal, we're going to w- win a medal. So, you know, we were so freaked out by having made the semi. We beat the number one American team. We actually beat all three American teams on American soil at the Atlanta Olympics. So the Fantastic. crowds were against us. <laughs> We're so used to it. It was, it was brilliant. Um, and then, yeah, we had a chance against the second-ranked Brazilian team who we'd beaten a few times and in the semi to make the gold medal match, and we absolutely stuffed it because our mind was limited. So the four years after that, leading into Sydney, you know, we knew that would be the biggest moment of our lives. So we worked on our minds in that time, and that's why we employed our mindset coach. Well, we didn't employ him because we didn't really pay, pay him much or anything. <laughs> <laughs> he came on the journey with us. How are the athletes going to go at the moment then, um, Kerry, knowing that you know, we just heard the announcement that you know, Tokyo is going to have no, no fans, no crowd um, being able to go to the games? Because I imagine you draw upon that uh, excitement from the crowd. I mean, I, I, again, I go back to Bondi Beach. That was just incredible. That was the best ticket in town. Yeah, a lot of people um, didn't – a lot of athletes, I don't, I don't think, realised the enormity of playing – in front of a home crowd. So for us, it was, you know, we played in front of a few thousand people in Brazil before, but those people were all against us and they mm. were swearing and cheering against us and booing us and throwing. They were literally one event. We had them throwing things on the court in the final and the, the Brazilian girls had to stop the match and talk on the microphone to the crowd and ask them to stop throwing things on the court. Wow. So, you know, we had crowds against us the whole time. So when we came to Sydney and we walked out that first day, we walked out onto the sand oh my god we nearly um i don't know i nearly vomited i think <laughs> we were so so frightened of being in, su- in front of such a big crowd so i don't know as an athlete you you know most olympic sports aren't big sports anyway and they don't fetch massive crowds so most Olymp- most olympians will be used to playing in front of not many people so I don't know. They'll be so focused. Some, yes, of course, there'll be players that miss that whole excitement. And I know Natalie's one of those players. She always orchestrated the crowd and she was always really aware of the energy of the crowd and it really helped her. But for myself, when I look back at when I played, I looked down at the sand and I was really focused in my mind. And the only way I could stay focused was to keep the crowd at, at arm's length and not really look at them or, or listen to them. I, I guess I could hear it, but not. I wasn't listening. So I think some will be okay and maybe there'll be a few that that miss it, but they'll be working on that now for sure. They'll be getting ready mentally for that. After you got your gold medal, what did you do? Did you party? Because it was outstanding place to be in Sydney. <laughs> oh, no, I went to bed at 8 o'clock with my coffee. <laughs> <laughs> um, we partied. I remember getting back to the Bondi Hotel. So we did the, the interviews with the media. We went on Roy and HG. Um, you know, we did our drug tests, everything that we had to do straight after. And I remember arranging to meet some of my close friends back at the Bondi Hotel. They'd been there since like two or three in the afternoon, since the end of the match. And by the time I got there, it was around midnight or something. And, you know, they'd all gone because they were just absolutely smashed. So they, (laughs) they, 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 there weren't many left. There were a couple left. Um, But I remember the, re- the next week, we just went and watched every sport. We just enjoyed and really got into the culture of the games. And we watched the Hockey Roo women win their gold medal. We went to the basketball women's. I remember taking a whole posse of friends and, uh, I don't know, 
acquaintances to the doors of the stadium for the um, the women's gold medal basketball match where Australia was playing. I think it was US. Um, and we got to the door and none of us had tickets and we just pulled out our gold medal and said, can we, and our, me and my friends come in? And they're like, oh, okay, come in, come in. <laughs> so we got some seats down the front and we, we enjoyed that. So, yeah, we just really got into the culture. And, you know, we went to some of the, the big parties as well. Uh, where is the gold medal, by the way? Oh. Is, that, is that it in the background? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, that's my son's soccer medals. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you might just have them on display somewhere. Yeah, just for my Zooms, I just hang them around the house. <laughs> uh, no, it's in a safe, but I do take it with me to um, to all my presentations because people love seeing it. Like, it's mm. quite amazing. I mean, I, I wouldn't say I'm over it. it. It doesn't, you know, I look at the medal, it, it doesn't signify anything itself other than oh it's getting very worn out now because so many people have held it but Mm. what I love is when other people touch it and they go oh my god can I put it on oh no and then people be like oh no I can't touch it oh no I can't put it on so it's just amazing seeing everybody's reactions and that's what I'm really proud of and that's why I take it with me and show people I mean I I hand it out into big crowds and it always comes back like a boomerang like of course it's never going to go it's just part of me it, it, it's incredible how uh, you speak so enthusiastically about the memories of, because I'm sure they feel like yesterday as well. Do you find now uh, looking at sport, it's changed in the last 20 years? I go back to the example of, you know, for the rugby, we, we won 99 World Cup. The cricketers won the 99 World Cup. We had an incredible run at the Olympics yourself, Kathy Freeman, uh, the water polo girls winning gold medals. We, the swimmers obviously doing well. We, we seem to be just off the pace a bit in sport. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, we we are in some sports and we're not in other sports. I think it's I think it's just the ebb, ebbs and flows. I mean, leading into Sydney, there was a lot of money poured into sports from the government and a, a lot of money poured into our program as well. Um, you know, hoping and 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 preparing to win those gold medals. And maybe with the money dropping off a little bit, it's harder for the sports, especially the the smaller sports. And we're a small sport volleyball. It's harder for us to you know, create programs and fully fund athletes to compete on the world tour. I mean, for instance, it would probably have cost, you know, for one one team, one beach volleyball team, I'm just going to guess here, but for one beach volleyball team to, to get a little bit of money that they can put in the bank, not much. I'm talking like maybe 30 grand or something like that in a year, which, you know, you can't even live on. Mm then have coaches fully funded to pay them, then have their travel and accommodation to go to as many world tour events as they need to in a, in a 12 month period. I mean, it would cost half a million to a million bucks. I'm sure like it's a, it's a lot of money um, to fund athletes. Maybe I'm exaggerating. I don't really know. I just know it's a lot of money and I know that athletes don't make any money, you know, unless you're in the top 10 in the world, we have one team in Australia, the women's team, Taliqua Clancy, Maria Faye, Artaccio del Solar. Maria Faye came from Peru as a very little girl. In fact, that's a really cool story. She was given or sent a postcard when she was in Peru and it was Natalie in my postcard and she was sent it from her sister and she she looked at it and dreamed that one day she too would, you know, win a gold medal or, or be an Olympian. And here she is going with, you know, a really good chance of, of getting an Olympic medal. So, you know, one team out of our entire sport in the country that is, you know, making a little bit of money, enough money to, you know, put some away for the future, whereas everybody else is shelling out. Everyone's just paying to, to, for the privilege and it's really mm. difficult. What about uh, in, in saying that we just saw the, the swimming trials uh, happen in Adelaide uh, a couple of weeks ago. Aaron Titmus was outstanding. Cole Chalmers, outstanding. 
from a an Olympian's point of view, do you support what's the the swimming? How do you think they're going to go? Look, I haven't been um, like right on the mark with the Olympic swimming program. I have met quite a few of the swimmers and the coaches, and they're all very level headed, and they're all. I think they've got a really good culture going into this Olympics. I think everything that's happening in the world probably will will bring a lot of these teams closer together. So yeah, I think they've got. I think they've got some maturity in their team even though they've got some young athletes I think that's that's going to really help them um, with all the the craziness that they're going to have to go through I mean I think I saw on someone's Instagram it took them four hours to process out of the airport um, wow. the other day so you know it, it it's going to be they're, they're just going to go to the event they're going to go straight back to their accommodation they're not going to be able to see any other sports I mean for a first-time Olympian it's going to be an experience but they've got nothing to compare it to. So it's mm. going to be better than anything. Yeah. For an Olympian, maybe second, third, fourth time, it's going to be really weird and probably disappointing in a sense. But they have to push that aside and just focus on the positives. And I think, you know, it's not the only event that these Olympians play in. They play in events, you know, all year round and um, or compete in events all year round, mostly. Not mm. normally in the not not a, not in the last twelve months, but Correct. they'll be used to it. Most of them have been in some sort of bubble, so they'll be they'll be prepared mentally, I'm sure. Let me take you back to uh, that 2000 again. Did you have what was your mindset going into that? You've already spoken about sort of how you're already past that that point of of understanding what your your speeches was going to be and that kind of stuff. Um, just being around the people, the good people in amongst your group, uh, did you find it that was going to be an, an easier task being in Sydney or, or a more difficult task? I think being in Sydney was really, obviously really, really special, but I think it was actually more difficult than being anywhere else. You know, being in your home city, your home country is great because you've got all your family and friends. I mean, the, the night before the gold medal match, I knew that friends of mine from where I grew up in Adelaide were in the car on the way over to Sydney. You know, we were told, don't get involved in trying to get tickets if you make the finals, you know, it's going to distract you. But we were getting involved because yeah. we wanted people to come and enjoy that moment with us. So we actually did get involved and got a lot of our friends because the Olympic Committee actually gave us extra tickets for family and friends for the final that they put aside for the, the players, families. So um, that was good in that sense. But the other, I remember the first match we had, we, we walked out onto the sand. I think I went to the toilet about 17 times before <laughs> um, our first game. I remember standing outside the stadium on Bondi Beach and just, you know, freaking out in, inside and just trying everything I can, using every skill that I'd learned to try and calm myself really wasn't aware of where Natalie was. She was, and talking to her afterwards, she was, you know, freaking out herself. Um, and we, our first match was against Mexico and they were the lowest seed in the competition. We were the, the top seed and um, normally an easy game. But at, when you, the old, the old scoring style was only to 15 and, mm. and at 11 all, <laughs> it was quite frightening. And I still remember standing there, knees were shaking, um, you know, really unfocused, foggy head. The, the crowd was cheering every time we'd made a point. It was like, yeah. And then the crowd was really um, upset when we lost a point. So it was like, oh, and you could feel it in your chest, in your body, the, the emotion of the crowd. So we somehow managed to 
pull out that match and won it 12-11 or 12-10, uh, sorry, 15-11 or 15-12, I can't remember now. Um, but I do remember that that it was just neck and neck. We could easily have lost that match if we hadn't, you know, managed to pull out the last couple of points. It could have gone the other way, which can, could have completely changed our entire program, who we played and how we got to the game. So we would have had to beat the Brazilian team probably in the semi if we'd lost that match, if we could keep going. So, yeah, it was a... It was an absolute frightening moment. So we then had two days between that game and our next match. And so what we had learned in the past was if you want to, you know, if you're looking to get better at something, if you're looking to create success, seek out people who have been in the same situation as you have. And my first thought went to tennis players, actually. I thought, why don't we talk to someone like Pat Rafter, who had recently won the Australian Open, uh, sorry, the US Open, yes. and then had to come back to Australia and play the Australian Open and with the crowd, you know, cheering him on, expecting him to then win on home soil, that expectation and find out what he did to kind of alleviate that perceived pressure. Yeah. And so it was lucky that our trainer knew his trainer and they arranged it and we went and spoke with Pat we we sat down we didn't know him before that um, and we spoke with some of the other tennis players Leighton Hewitt was there at the time and and we just really um, got a good sense of how it feels and something that Pat left with me was that he said kind of build like a cone of silence around you that's how I felt like I'd built a cone of silence by the time I got to the final this cone of silence was so solid that the crowd was out there but in this cone of silence was myself Natalie the other team and I was just so focused. And it was like, I, again, I could hear the crowd. They weren't affecting me emotionally. I was just doing what I had to do. And then the, the moment that that last ball landed out, the moment that, you know, on the scoreboard, it said we had won, I collapsed. And it was like that glass, that cone of silence just collapsed down alongside me. And I remember looking up and actually focusing on the faces of the people just screaming at us, mm. you know, in the crowd and the noise. And it freaked me out for the first five minutes. I couldn't lift my head out of the sand. Natalie's like, get up, get up, get up. <laughs> um, it was so scary, but it, it, it made me realise how focused I was and how I'd built that cone of silence around me, that cone of focus, whatever you want to call it, more in the zone than I've ever been in my life. It's funny you talk about that cone of silence. When Paddy came back from the US Open, I think it was his must have been his second win, I think it was. Uh, we were at a golf tournament. He that kind of silence was shattered. He was drinking that much. He didn't spend, he he didn't buy a drink all night. And, and and so you should. And you guys would have been the same as well. Um, I, I loved your, I loved your analogy of of the crowd though as well. When they they ride all the highs and all the lows. Uh, my first test match, I dropped the ball on halfway, and forty thousand people went like. Oh, and, and there's no, and there's nowhere to hide. You sit there and think, what? How am I going to get back on the horse again, to be able to get my help, get my head right to go again? So, in in the in saying that, the long winded question: How do you prepare for an Olympics? How is being an Olympian so different from any other sports? Because you are always an Olympian. I I was a Wallaby. I'm now a, a former Wallaby. You'll you'll never be a former Olympian. You know what I mean? Like that's the that's the tag that goes with it. Yeah, I think what they've done with the Olympics is really create a family of Olympians um, and they make us feel like we are part of the family. I still go to every Olympic function. I, I help them out whenever I can, hosting or, 
being interviewed or whatever um, because I love the family and I love the culture of the Olympic Games and I love what it does to the world, brings the world together. And hopefully that's what will happen in Tokyo, bringing the world together and, you know, all the upheaval, upheaval that we've had. But what is different about the Olympics? I think it's just the fact that you have countries from, you know, all over the world, obviously, you see tracksuits with names on the back that you've never even heard of. Like, it's just, it's so incredible. You sit in this dining hall and there are meals from, you know, 20 or 30 different cultures to choose from. You can go and sit down at a table with somebody from Russia, someone from Afghanistan, someone from the United States, someone from Puerto Rico, someone from China. You know, you can all sit together and just eat a peaceful meal and it's just expected, you know. Everything else is is gone. You just become an Olympian, you perform, you try and perform at your best um, and then when you get home, you know, all of the medalists and all of the Olympians are really celebrated, which is an incredible feeling. The welcome home parades over the last three Olympics that I played were just some of the best parades I've ever, you know, experienced because of the the crowds and the fans and how much people, you know, you know, put us on a pedestal, I guess, every four years. And that's and that's a sad thing. It's only every four years for so many of us sports. I mean, for mm. you, it was, you know, every year you'd have major events and um, or, you know, multiple times a year. But for us, yeah. our sports come to the fore every four years. So it's a pretty special moment. And most athletes live their lives in those cycles of four years. You know, that's exactly right. This is my four-year cycle. What am I going to do this year, next year, the year after? Now the next cycle is only three years to, yeah. to our next Olympics after Tokyo. So that'll, be, that'll just go so quickly. How, 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 how would you say the athletes are prepared for this one with that? delay uh going because you know you're, you're at a certain age as you say you might only get one shot at an olympics or one shot at a world cup and it got delayed by a year we saw one of the sevens girls uh, uh pull out emily cherry the other day because just because of age and she's now a mother the rest of it um just couldn't continue yeah i think i feel really sad for those athletes that were at the end of their careers and and they were perhaps just going to give it one last shot um but on the flip side of that I mean, and that is life. I mean, we had a, a great um, second women's team, Bakara Palmer and Nikki Laird, who lost by like two points to qualify for the Olympics, for this Tokyo Olympics. So, yep. you know, they're dealing with that devastation of not even going. So there's going to be Olympians who perhaps are obviously going to be suffering, maybe not getting there or not at their best because of that extra year. But then on the flip side, there's going to be so many Olympians that have come through in that last year that before didn't have a chance. Like there's an American women's team who weren't even on like the top 20 in the world tour about a year ago. And now all of a sudden they're one of the, the standout teams and won the last two events leading into the beach volleyball. So, you know, there's going to be all those stories as well. So, you know, I guess it's just life. And I think the best way that, that athletes have been able to focus is, okay, it's just another year. I mean, the easier they kind of brush it aside and just keep yeah. doing what they're doing, the better off they'll be. If they, if they focus on it too much and on all the negatives, just like anything in life, if you focus on the negatives, then they'll just expand and you'll just feel more and more down. So, yeah. What about our, what about our men's and women's uh, beach volleyball athletes? How are they going to go? They've obviously both qualified. Um, What's your expectation for, for those guys? So first of all, our men's who men's team, Damien Schumann and Chris McHugh, who um, only just qualified before the Olympics, you know, with a few weeks out, they're actually um, 
the first men's team for 13 years, I believe, that have qualified for the Olympics. So pretty huge effort from them. Mm. Uh, they had a, a really tough year and they were actually the, the Commonwealth Games gold medalists in 2018. And then obviously, you know, over the last few years to try and qualify for Tokyo. So they have also tried for the last two cycles and haven't got through. So for them, that extra year was probably a really, really, and in fact, it was a really good thing. Um, so I think they'll go in pretty relaxed into the games. And I think that they'll possibly surprise some teams. I think when you're the underdog, you, you can do, you know, you can really play free and, and not have those, those same pressures. So I think they'll yeah. do well and they'll still be excited from coming off the back of qualifying. And then the women's team, Taliqua Clancy and Maria Fay, they have been on the, in the top five to 10 in the world for many years now so three or four years so i think they although they haven't had a lot of competition i think they will thrive in the olympic environment because they'll have a lot of time in between games they're incredibly athletic way more athletic i believe than natalie and i were you know <laughs> skill wise and um and their body and they're a lot young, younger as well so i think you know there's no reason why they can't win a medal if not a gold medal is it, is it changed i've noticed it's changed a bit from what we thought was cutting edge technology when you and I were running around. Um, <laughs> it, it seems to be sort of, you know, what were you guys doing back in the day with the new technology, uh, with how they're trained, their prep, the GPS and the, the nutrition. Uh, has it made it all that little bit, has it, are they better athletes? That's what, that's what I'm trying to say. Are they better players and athletes than perhaps you were, we were? I think what made Natalie and I um, good at the time was our mindset it kind of took over when it really needed to. It brought, it was, it gave us the ability to play at our very best, which sometimes wasn't better than the team we were playing, but it, we played our very best under pressure. The teams now, I see that they're, they're physical, um, they're really in great shape. They can play game after game after game, tournament after tournament, recover quickly. You know, you see matches where there's, you know, 20 cameras on the courts, all the other teams are scouting them. They know their every weakness, their every strength. Um, there's so much more that goes into the sports science and into the preparation of the athletes. Um, but one thing that I think will always be the deciding factor is what's going on in their mind. Mm. And that, that can only be tested at the games because it's never tested under, there's no other pressure like it. Mm. And you can't see it. You know, you can see if someone's physically fit, you can see if someone's healthy you can, you know, see how quickly they recover and, and play well again, but you can't see what's going on between their ears. You really can't. And so that's what the Olympics is going to bring out. And so I hope that our athletes, all Australian athletes, have been working on that. And I think the pandemic has probably enabled them to strengthen that part of their game as well, because especially in Australia, we've been locked out of a lot of competition. So I think that the athletes will be ready um, to just you know play with pure grit and determination because they've been waiting so long. I tell you what, I, I don't think I would have liked to have taken you on in a, in a game. <laughs> your, your mindset is too strong. I'm getting blown away here. Um, <laughs> tell me about how's the other side of you? How, how's your body going after all the the punishment you put it through over all the years? Well, unfortunately, I just had my seventh knee surgery. I had some <laughs> congratulations. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think it's five on that one now, two on the other one. Um, but you know, that, that's just the, the joys of, um, you know, the, the joys of sport for 20 years. I, I represented Australia for over 20 years and 
I think if you count up the amount of jumps I've done, I think one one time our trainer counted how many how many times I jumped in one training. It was two hundred times. No, now, I don't even know what that would be multiplied by twenty years of training. So <laughs> it's a lot of stress on my poor knees, but you know, at the same time, you know, my mindset is strong, and I believe I'll be back again, back to you know, just being a strong woman in in, in her fifties. Yeah. <laughs> I don't expect to be running around playing volleyball anymore. I'm realistic, but I just think that it's really important, especially in my 50s, to stay strong as I can around my joints. Um, but the rest of my body is actually really good. I don't have any back, shoulder, ankle, any other problems. It's just been my knees, um, and that's definitely just from jumping. Would you have changed anything that what you know now, that the, the, the pain, the seven, the seven surgeries and the rest of it, would you have changed anything? I think over the last... 20 years since the Sydney games in particular, I think the one thing I would have done more of was strength training. Okay. I think that's so underrated, Um, even for non-athletes underrated. I think, you know, so many women get into their fifties and that, you know, you become weaker, you naturally lose muscle quicker and you, you don't have time to work out as much. And you, maybe you don't have a goal to work towards, um, but it's just absolutely even more important for us to stay strong. And you probably feel that the same with mm. yourself, you know, to, to just protect all those injuries. But for the normal, you know, person of our age, I think it's really important just strength training. Can't emphasise that enough. Now, the Olympics that you have been to, and you've been to a few, which is quite incredible. Uh, what's the best event you've ever seen? And who's the best athlete you've ever seen, knowing that you've been around some incredible human beings yeah well i mean i've watched a lot of volleyball and i've commentated um or hosted or done some interviews in the last three olympics so i've i've been to uh three oh hang on four five six olympics so three i played in and then three i i commentated or did some hosting my favorite olympics in fact was 2012 and i didn't play in 2012 but I went as a commentator in 2012 and Mm -hmm. it was an absolutely incredible environment I mean the whole of London was just so welcoming and every event was in an iconic place you know you were at Lords and you're at Wimbledon and the beach volleyball was set up in front of Horse Guards Parade you Mm -hmm. know just down the road from the palace and every day I'd walk across the bridge from the hotel tell past big Ben and and go and and sit next to one of my best mates who's also um a three-time olympian julian prosser and we would commentate on a sport that we loved like from like with a passion um and most of the people playing were still all our friends because we'd only just retired a couple of olympics earlier so we yeah. knew most of the players and i i witnessed um kerry walsh jenning and misty may winning their third olympic gold medal i think it was their third so uh, yeah, they won 04, 08 and, and 2012. So third Olympic gold medal in beach volleyball. They'd, uh, Kerry had already had, I think, two kids and, and actually found out, I believe, what was that Beijing? She was pregnant. I don't even remember. She's got three kids now, but she had kids in between the Olympics and they went through injuries and Misty, you know, had terrible knees as well. But just watching these two incredible athletes um, win gold or not watching but commentate them was a highlight of my Olympic career. Um, and then not volleyball, non-volleyball. Obviously, Usain Bolt was a, a pretty in- incredible uh, event to watch. And I remember running to the stadium from 
my commentary and just making um, his final and, and watching him win gold. And yeah, that was an incredible moment just to share that with the excitement and the energy in the crowd. What about, uh, what about back in Sydney after you did your partying and finishing? Uh, I, I, I got to go to the four by 100 metres. That, so that last event, we also saw uh, Kathy Freeman's 400. We saw the opening ceremony as well. Just quite iconic moments in time. Did you get to see many other events when you're, after you finish, I know you walked around with your gold medal and said, hey, look at me. <laughs> yeah, um, we did. We did. We got to see as much as we could. Uh, what I remember was the hockey, the basketball. Can't remember seeing much else. We were so busy. I mean, we were being pulled left, right and centre mm. as far as the media were concerned. And then we did want to have some free time as well. So it was those two events, the hockey and the women's hockey and the uh, women's basketball that I remember the most. But Kathy Freeman won the night that we won. And so Tatiana Gregoreva won a silver medal in the pole vaulting that night as well. So I remember being back at our accommodation. We didn't stay in Homebush. We actually stayed in Randwick in a, what was then a Catholic nunnery where they'd put up the beach volleyballs and the cyclists so we could be closer to Bondi. And after, the, after we finished playing, we then moved into the village for the last week. So once we moved in there, we were free. We had no commitments and um, that was amazing. But the next morning after our gold medal match, we had our first press conference and there was Kathy in the middle, Tatiana on one side and Kerry and Natalie on the other side. And I still remember, I was a fan, like I was a fan of <laughs> Kathy and a fan of Tatiana. And here I am sitting there with a gold medal as well. And there'd be like 20 questions to Kathy maybe 10 to Tatiana, two or three to Kerry and Natalie, and then back to Kathy again. <laughs> so we felt like we were at Kathy's media um, conference, but we didn't care because we were just so happy and we were just so privileged and felt, you know, so humbled to actually be there with her. Um, but we watched her on TV back at our accommodation with our family and friends that after, or that early afternoon evening of our gold medal win. We're coming up to Tokyo, not too far away. Uh, will there be any... Kerry Pothouse, Natalie Cook moments or a, or a Kathy Freeman moments for our Australian athletes? I absolutely think there's going to be some pretty special moments, some Kathy Freeman moments, those moments that we hoped would happen, you know, the gold medal favourites, and that's that's a tough position to be in. You, could, you know, we saw how relieved she was when she finally won that gold medal, but there'll be those athletes and those moments that we kind of, we presume are going to happen and then they happen and we feel so much joy. And then there'll be those standout moments where some, some Australians come out of like nowhere to, to pick up a gold medal that, or a, a, a medal um, prospect where we think, oh, maybe they'll come second or third. We'll, we'll take the gold medal. I think there'll be a few of those as well. So I can only hope. But that's going to be the beauty of this Olympics because a lot of these athletes haven't actually seen the Australians for a while because they haven't been to many events, mm. you know, only a few, whereas some of the countries have been still competing a lot quickly and a lot more than we have. So hopefully the Aussies will have a bit up their sleeve that they can bring out at the Olympics and, and make some of those iconic moments. Let's hope so. Kerry, thank you so much for, for chatting. It's, it's always a pleasure. The enthusiasm gets you and then when you talk about what you did for well, so many years uh it is infectious so thanks very much for your time thanks matt get on you carrie thanks so much outstanding what about that cool. i, I, I want to go out and like play volleyball now uh, just like, <laughs> how good how good how good thanks again for dropping in and listening to talking sport with me matt burke 